You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. Romans 8 and look at verse 12. Let's all stand together as we reverence the reading of God's Word. In verse 12 it says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs... Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. I guess in all of Romans 8, these are some of the uh, maybe a little more difficult to understand exactly why they fit in here, but they do. And in Romans 8, these are awesome things that we're going to consider the next two weeks. All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, bless uh, the reading of your word with. Uh, encouragement, conviction, and especially today, call someone to yourself through the message of the gospel in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. This is an awesome chapter. And these verses are awesome too. And uh, so I want us to, to study these. If there, uh, If there's no condemnation for us, consider this. If Christ has given us his righteousness so that God can declare us not guilty, if he has given us new birth, and if we will be resurrected as he uh, uh, is resurrected, then the statement in verse 12 is overwhelmingly true. We are debtors. Uh, we owe God a debt we can never repay. And I want to tell you something on the heels of that. He doesn't ask you to. Hallelujah. I mean, that's the whole point of love. He did it for us because he loved us, not because he expected something from us. We are obligated. We are owing, though, to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Spirit, We owe obedience and holy living. Now, now hear me. Please, I, I didn't come here to entertain you. I want you to listen to me. I mean, listen to that last statement here. God, we, uh, we are owing to God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We owe them obedience and holy living. If that phrase bothers you, maybe you don't have the Trinity inside of you. Matter of fact, most likely you do not. Because the Christian, I, I hear people, I hear my, my Assembly of God friends and other friends who believe you can lose your salvation, which is silly. How in the world can you lose eternal life? It wasn't eternal if you can lose it. 
And I hear them all the time, well, you Baptists believe you can live any old way you want to. And to that I say, yes, we do. Y'all have heard me say this before. Yes, we do. We want to live holy. We want to live righteous. Right? I mean, that's the desire of a Christian is to be holy, to be like Christ, to be like Jesus. And if it bothers you that you must obey Christ and seek a holy life, something's wrong. Something's wrong. The Bible says make your calling and election sure. Examine yourself to see if you be in the faith. And we're going to look at six. Now listen. Listen to this. Everybody set up. I'm going to make you feel like you are a theologian. All right? We are going to look at six theological terms and doctrines in these verses. Does that scare you? A lot of people that does. Some people get scared at the word theology. That's a big word. That's for seminary. No, it's not. No, it's not. That's for you and me. Theos is the word God. Ology means the study of or science of. And we're going to talk about and study God. Amen. Amen. If that don't get you excited, I have nothing else for you here in this pulpit. It means the study of God. It should evoke excitement in the Christian heart. Some people feel words like theology and doctrine or stuffy seminary things, but it's not. I used to hear uh, when I was growing up in the independent fundamental ranks, and if any of them are listening to me, well, just if the shoe fits... But they used to downplay seminary. They used to downplay education. And they would talk. I remember their favorite little joke was, you go, you dig down deeper and come up drier. Let me tell you something. No one's ever dug deeper and come up dry. If you're ever going to find the sweet water, you got to dig deep. Amen. You never. Listen, the Bible says, it's the Bible, not me, not theologians, not the seminaries. It says study to show yourself approved unto God. And, and it's a good thing. Nothing could be further from the truth. That theology is stuffy. The deeper you dig, the sweeter the water. You can't get the fountain without digging the well. Amen. Now, these three, these six theological terms are these. I'm going to give them to you right off. Here we go. By the way, that, that is a beautiful picture. That background is of the Dees Pond uh, at their at their cabin, Gene uh, and Miss Betty's pond. Beautiful picture that day. It was just beautiful out there. Depravity. We're going to talk about depravity, all right? That's a little negative, but it's in these verses. We've got to talk about it. Condemnation or judgment, if you would. These are theological things we got to study. Sanctification. Uh, mortification or repentance. We're going to talk about more. What does it mean, mortification? Talking about the mortification of sin, the killing of sin. Adoption. Adoption. I thought that might be a good one for Mother's Day and talk about how that we've been brought into the family. We have a father and mother in God. But we're not going to get to that today. And then the last one is glorification or slash. You can put there heaven and we'll get to that. You can break these six themes down into two categories, past and present. Amen. Now, I know what you're going to say, Brother Ron, two categories. There's three up there. I know you're saying that, aren't you, in your mind? There's three. There's past. We were depraved. We were condemned. But now we're sanctified. We've been regenerated. And now we work to mortify our sin. And, and we were adopted. But glorification, isn't that in the future? Well, look down in verse 31. Look at verse 30. Uh, uh, verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. And whom he called, these he also justified. That's when you got saved. God declared you not guilty. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. 
Now, how many of you in heaven right now? Now, I know you're going to listen to me preach, but that's not what I'm talking about. No, we're not in heaven yet, but he talks as if we are in heaven. And you know why that is? Because if God says it's going to happen, it might as well have already happened, Brother Justin. Might as well have already happened. You might as well just get happy and join Justin and Tim and I. I mean, this is good stuff. So when God says that we believe it and it's going to happen, it's as good as done. Well... We're going to look at these six doctrines and try not to run past heaven with excitement. Because of that, this sermon may seem a little uh, disconjointed because we're talking about six different things. But let's stay together. Get your Bibles list. Depravity. No shouting. <laughs> it seems like we've talked about that a lot lately, hadn't it? Well, I just preached the Bible. Verse by verse. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7. Again, because the carnal mind, the fleshly mind, the mind that does not know Christ, this is what you were before salvation. Because the fleshly mind is enmity against God, your enemies of God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. My friend, you've got to realize how far away you were to appreciate how close he's brought you. <laughs> Hang on just a minute. Woo! Glory to God. That's good. Isn't that good? Yeah. You got to understand how far away from God you were Amen. to thank God and worship Him. Behold our God seated on the throne. How in the world can I ever think to reach a relationship with a God that sits on the throne? He, he's omniscient and omnipresent and, and He knows all things. How could I? Because He came to me. Amen. He came and got me. And brought me to him. <laughs> we were living according to the flesh, weren't we, Brother Aaron? I mean, that's what we were. And then we were saved, we were born again. But he says, look at this in verse uh, 9. Verse, no, 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 verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. We lived according to the flesh. We loved the flesh. Even the good things we did were... Uh, were Filthy rags, the Bible says. Yes, that's right. We were far away. Galatians 5.19 says, well, by the way, living indicates action. Living indicates the way we live, the fruit that we bore, the deeds that we did. Galatians 5.19 says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, that's uh, uh, lewd parties, and the like. You listen to me? Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I have told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you practice adultery, you're going to hell. If you practice lewdness, you're on the road to Hades. If you practice idolatry or sorcery, by the way, sorcery comes from the word pharmacia. It probably means some kind of ritualistic worship accompanied with drugs. Yeah. Using of drugs. Some might say, Brother Ron, is marijuana wrong? Of course it is. Of course it's wrong. 
It causes you not to be in control of yourself. And that's the whole point of most sins. The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. But people who practice these things without repentance are not saved. You're not born again. If you practice unfaithfulness, if you practice envies and murders, which by the way can mean not just stab them, it could mean just hatred, as Jesus said, if you hate your brother. I want to tell you something. If you have hatred in your heart for somebody, you're not saved. A Christian does not have the capacity to hate. Get mad, yes, but not hate. Now, that's what you were, and that's what he's saying. You are no longer in that flesh. You were depraved. You were without affection for righteousness and affection for obedience to Christ. And now you have been changed. Now you do have affection for righteousness. Now you do have a desire for obedience. We were dead in sin, but we were in danger of eternal death. Separation from God forever outside of his presence in hell. Number two, the second uh, doctrine we see here is condemnation. Condemnation is a legal term which means declared guilty. Guilty. It's a judgment. The Bible says, look there in verse 11 and 12 again, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Now look at verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. The New American Standard Bible, which I'm getting to where I really like it, says you must die. Is that right, Brother Harold? You must die. Why must you die? Because God said in the day you eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you shall die. I want to tell you something. God is holy, eminently holy. There is no spot or wrinkle in him, and you are eminently sinful. You're eminently sinful. We're sinners. And it's not that God's a big ogre up in heaven and says, you're not like me. I don't want you around here. No, my friend. When holy righteousness and Shekinah glory of the holiness of God meets unholiness, unholiness is destroyed. It's not that he won't, although he won't let sin in his presence. It's that he can't. He can't. And it's only because of his veiled glory that the children of Israel lived when they were there around that mountain. Anybody touch the mountain? Goat, sheep, cattle, person. If they touched the mountain, the holiness of God, they died. You remember the guy Uzzah reached up and touched the ark? It was falling. He was doing a good thing, but God said, don't touch the ark. Why? Because listen, now listen to me. It did not have the presence of God on it. That only happened once a year, if I'm not mistaken, at the Day of Atonement. It had the remnants. The remnants, the left behinds of the glory of God in that box. And Uzzah, thinking he was doing God a favor, reached up and stabled that ark. And immediately he was struck dead. And I like what R.C. Sproul says about that. That Uzzah made the mistake of thinking his hand was holier than the dirt. More worthy of the dirt. It wasn't. You will die. The presence of God and sin cannot coexist. 
Now, what are you going to do if, you, if you're here today and you're lost? What are you going to do to be saved? Well, if you're asked that question, good. That's a good sign. But I want to tell you something. You don't do anything. God's done it. God did it. We were far away. We were enmity with God. We were running as fast as away from God as we could. And the Bible tells us that it is God that came to us. Amen. God that came to us. And we were condemned. And you say, Brother Ron, we hadn't had a trial. You think God needs witnesses? Listen to what John 3, 18 says. Right after John 3, 16 and 17, he says, He who believes in him is not condemned. Hallelujah. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he hath not believed in the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world. And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. My friend, God knows who and what you are. He knows you're guilty. It's not like you're going to get to heaven and call Judge Judy to help you. God knows. God knows. It's a present reality. Number two, it's a future reality. I want to tell you something. Riley is awesome. Y'all don't know what just happened. You never will until I explain it to you. But bless her heart, I, I went right past that first one there. I'm sorry. A present reality, then I was supposed to read John 3, 18. And number two, a future reality. Condemnation was going to be a future reality. Revelation 20, 14, Then death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death, and anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, you may not believe it. I just read it from God's Word. I believe it. This church believes it. We teach it that those who reject Christ, those who die in their sin, will one day be separated from God in a place called hell. You say, well, I don't believe that then you can't believe in heaven. You can't believe in Christ. You can't believe in creation. You can't listen. You can't pick and choose as Thomas Jefferson tried to do this book. You can't pick and choose. You can't cut things out. If it's true on one part, it's true on the rest. If it's false on one part, we have suspect on the rest. I believe it. I believe it from Genesis to Revelation. I believe it from cover to cover. And I even believe the cover because my cover says Holy Bible. The Bible says that this condemnation for those who do not know Christ will surely come, will surely come. But God has done everything to make sure that doesn't happen. So that brings me to my third. Now let's look at this. Look at verse 12. Let's read it. Everybody get your Bible. Let's read Therefore, brethren, we are debtors, not to the flesh. No, what the flesh did, it tried to drag us to hell. That's what our own sinful flesh did. And so we're not debtors to live according to the flesh. Matter of fact, we shouldn't want to. And we don't if we're Christians. Verse 13, for if you live according to the flesh, if you do those things listed and, and many more, if you disobey Christ on a consistent basis, uh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Hallelujah. You will live. Now, what this is explaining here in this verse is what we call sanctification. And sanctification is included in a lot of things. Number one, regeneration. Now, that's a, a seventh one. You can stick in there if you want to. When you were born again, you were, you, when you were saved, you were born again. A new man now lives inside of you. I mean, literally. 
You got a spirit. That's what made you start hating, started hating unrighteousness and started loving righteousness. It's what made you want to start going to church and quit skipping church. It's what made you want to read your Bible instead of not read your Bible. And I know you're not perfect. I'm getting there. I know not everybody's perfect. Not a, there's not one Christian that doesn't sin, but I'm getting there. And we were, when we were regenerated, it could be the same thing. Sanctification includes a lot. What sanctification means, let me get my notes here. There's two kinds of sanctification. Everybody say two. two. All right, good, good class. One is basically the same as regeneration. When we were saved, we were, now listen, set apart. Grabbed out of this old world, carved out of our own sinfulness, and brought into Christ regenerated and set apart and made holy unto God. We were declared by God justified, which means declared not guilty. Not guilty. And so we were, we were declared not guilty. And this is a one-time act that happened. That's the first kind of sanctification. But then there's the second kind of sanctification. Some people like to call it the uh, perseverance of the saints. And that is that as we live, God brings us along and helps us day by day become more like Christ. Now, some people like me, it's a slower process. And some people God blesses graciously. And thank God for them. We need people who seem to get a hold and be able to forsake sin and obey Christ. And, and they don't have to repent uh, nearly as often or in as short a time as we do. But everybody who is born again will be sanctified. Brought gradually towards a holiness. Now you're never, you'll never in this life gain righteous perfection. Never. You'll never do it. But you ought to try. But in this instance right here, that's what it's talking about, the progressive sanctification that God does for you. Now, now stay with me here. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are His workmanship. And that, that's a good phrase too. We are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Even our progressive sanctification is a work of God, but not totally, friend. Listen, you have to obey. You, you, have the, you have the ability to obey now that you have the Spirit of God in you. But it is still a work of God. And He prepared these works for us to do, and, and it's a work of God. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, this is a beautiful verse, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by one Spirit of the Lord. Hallelujah. He's changed us from one level of glory to the next. Philippians 1, 6 says, Being confident of this very thing, Paul talking to these Philippian believers, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. Y'all know what I say about that. When you get to the end of your life, you're going to be where God wants you to be. Now, you can, you can make it to where he has to drag you over every thorn bush and rock in the path, or you can follow him gladly, but he's going to get you there. Amen. I love the verse, Galatians 2.20, I am crucified with Christ. Now, listen, nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, 
but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live, I live in the flesh by the faith of the Son of God that gave him so. Well, who is it, him or me? And the answer is yes. <laughs> the answer is yes. As Christ works in you, you repent. And that brings me to my second one. Let me, let me give you this first of all. As we pray, as we read our Bible and fellowship with the saints, we learn what righteousness is and the commands he gives us to follow and the sins we need to repent of, which leads us to our next theological subject in our text, and that is mortification. All right? Some of y'all look mortified at uh, what's fixing to come up. It's actually a good term. It's a good term, but it's something that you and I do. Everything else, well, except depravity, we did that, and, and, uh, and uh, the flesh. And, but we do this, mortification, repentance. Jim Elliff brought with him, I meant to bring it up here, he brought, and I have some if you want some, that little pamphlet he brought called The Unrepenting Repenter. The unrepenting repenter. And what he basically says is those that know Christ, and this is the truth, are repenting repenters. When you got saved, you repented. You turned in mind and heart and will from sin. You turned from sin. You began to hate it and you loathe it now and you turn to God in faith. It's kind of like sanctification, that one-time act. But as you live with the Spirit of God and your spirit that's been reborn, you want to mortify your flesh and your sin. You want to overcome it. That's why my favorite song, or not favorite, I hate that I have to sing it. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here, God, here's my heart. Just take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Every Christian has that heart cry. Every Christian. Look at this, verse 13. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death, that's what mortification means. You, matter of fact, if you have a King James Version, I think it even uses the word mortify there, if I'm not mistaken. You put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, I think that's it, just that verse I'm going to read. All right? So listen to this. Put to death mortify the deeds of the flesh. In other words, if you have a problem with drunkenness, quit going to the bar. Quit buying liquor. If you have a problem with cigarettes, addiction to cigarettes, quit buying cigarettes. Make steps. And I know some are doing this here, so I'm glad they're trying and I know what a heavy addiction cigarette smoking is. I lived, not in me, but my parents, I know how hard it was. They tried and tried. My dad said, I can quit smoking anytime I want to. I've done it a thousand times. But it's a sin to be addicted to anything. Dr. Peppers, don't go to meddling. Eating? What do you do? You take steps. You go to war and fight the flesh. And overcome it. Because if any, if you ever say this, now listen, you think about it in this way. If you ever say, man, I've got to have a, a Coke. I've got to have a cigarette. I've got to have a beer. I've got to have. You know what you're saying? Jesus isn't enough. Jesus doesn't satisfy. Jesus isn't enough. And something else is filling that longing of satisfaction in your soul. 
And I don't mean to get on this. It really wasn't. But, but yeah, I did. We're talking about what do I do? I'm, I'm, uh, this is a sin in my life. What do I do? You go to war with it. You attack it. You overcome it. If whatever it takes. Colossians 3, 5 says, Therefore put to death, or in the King James Version again, mortify your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, covetousness, which is idolatry. When you want something more than God, God just said it's idolatry. Well, ouch. And because of these things, the wrath of God's coming on the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked. When you lived in them, but now you yourselves are to put off those things, these things, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another. And since you have put off the old man with its deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. That's called mortifying, fighting sin. Now listen, do you notice what he said? He said, you used to do those things. You used to live in them. You used to practice them. Now you, you're tripped up by them, but you're repentant. Yeah. You're repentant. You want to overcome them. You're going to make steps to overcome them. And you're not always going to win, but God does not deal with you on the basis of your deeds anymore. Hallelujah. Yeah. But he does want you as a Christian to overcome the deeds of the flesh. It is a result of being in the Spirit. When you are in the Spirit, you want to be holy. Yeah. Right? Okay, enough said. He gives us the power to do it. I, gotta, I want to go quickly here. It is a responsibility, though. You and I have to do it. We have to take steps. We don't always do it because we still have this old flesh. But John Owen, the, old, the great Puritan, English reformer Puritan said in his classic work, The Mortification of Sin, you ought to get it and read it if you struggle with sin, uh, as we all do. So we ought to all read it. He said, do you mortify? Do you kill? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. What a statement. He said, Brother Ron, but I thought I couldn't die. Well, you can die physically, you know. But also, if you don't overcome sin, if you, don't, if you keep sinning, your joy's gone, your assurance is gone, your hope is gone, it steals you of life, that life abundant that God gives you. All right, I've got a long illustration. We're finished. And, and I have to say, I'm reading this from other things with my thoughts in it, but this is... Things I got other. I heard another preacher preach a whole sermon on this, and I've been waiting to use it for this sermon. But these are my thoughts with others. I do give credit because this is a long, lot of stuff to remember. Okay, listen to this. Amalek, Amalek, was the son of Eliphaz. That's Esau's son. You remember Esau and Jacob, the two sons of Israel, or two sons of Isaac. Well, he was a grandson of Esau's son. He was the son of Esau's son. Esau was his granddad. By a concubine from Timnah, descendants of this tribal chief of Edom. Edom, Edom was a country, it was the country of Esau. 
Edomites were descendants of Esau. They lived in uh, Edom and they had a place called Petra. How many of y'all know of Petra? Oh, really? Just uh, go home today, get on your computer and look up Petra. It's a beautiful city carved into the mountains. And that's where the Edomites lived, or a lot of them. It's beautiful. They settled in the Negev Desert, that's where it is, and became allies of the Edomites, the Ammonites, the Moabites, the Ishmaelites, and the Midianites. These are the Amalekites we're talking about from Amalek. The Amalekites were notable enemies of Israel. Amalek inherited the fraternal feud from, that had begun with their grandfathers Esau and Jacob. And in the Negev, uh, Negev Desert region, they blocked the path of Israelites during the Exodus. They, they came against Israel to keep them from going into the promised land in Exodus 17. Now, listen to me. This is good stuff. Or it will be. Israel's first encounter with the warriors of Amalek came at Rephidim near Sinai. Moses stood on top of a hill, you remember it? And he held up the rod of God until Israel won the battle. But they had to sit him on a rock and two men had to hold up his hands. You remember that story? Those were the Amalekites that he was helping defeat. Until Israel won the battle, then built an altar and named it, The Lord is My Banner, Exodus 17. The Amalekites attacked stragglers during Israel's desert wandering. They'd come from behind. I'm fixing to read that again. And they would kill Israelites. Listen, after reaching the boundary of the promised land, but rejecting Caleb and Joshua's report of, the, of believing it, the unbelieving and disheartened Israelites attacked the Amalekites, and they were defeated by them. When Balaam was summoned, this is the, the prophet for hire, Balaam was summoned to King Balak, Balak of Moab to curse Israel. He turned his curse upon Moab, and in the last oracle or prophecy that he predicted, he predicted the end of the Amalekite tribe. Moses, in his farewell speech, in his farewell speech, listen to this. Deuteronomy 25, 17. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you were coming out of Egypt, how he met you on the way and attacked you on the rear flanks or ranks and the stragglers at your rear uh, when you were tired and weary and he did not fear God. Therefore, it shall be... By the way, he's, he's, uh, when he says Amalek, he means the Amalekites, the descendants of Amalek. Uh, therefore, verse 19, it shall be when the Lord your God has given you rest from your enemies all around in the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess as an inheritance that you will blot out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. That was an order from Moses, the prophet of God. Therefore, it was an order from God. Okay? During the period of the judges, the Amaleks still associated with other nomadic tribes, Moabites, Ammonites, Midianites, with a bunch of mosquito bites probably. And they rallied, they rallied by Eglon, the fat king of Moab, to defeat Israel and see, to seize it. In the song of Deborah, the judges, she cites Amalek as one of the coalition of tribes against Israel. Gideon defeated this coalition. But there is no evidence that the Amalekites were driven out of the Negev. Matter of fact, there's evidence to the contrary. According to 1 Samuel, now listen, here it is. Here it is. Listen to me. 
According to 1 Samuel, Saul sent his armies out against the Amalekites and received a command from God to destroy them and all their possessions. 1 Samuel 15, 2, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how, the ambushed him, how, how he ambushed Israel, him on the way when he came up from Egypt. Now go and attack Amalek. Amalek, and utterly destroy all that they have, and do not spare them, but kill both man and women, infant and nursing child, ox and sheep and camel and donkey. I want them gone, God said. He did attack their cities, but he did not kill their king Agag. That's the, names, the king's name, Agag. And instead of destroying everything as God had said, he divvied up the good livestock and gave them to his soldiers and his chief men. In 1 Samuel 15, 22, Samuel the prophet, the Samuel who loved Saul, who called Saul to anoint him to be king, Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifice as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed than the fat of rams. For the rebellion, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Hey kids, did you hear that? Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. And stubbornness, hey, adults, did you hear that? Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Verse 32 says, now listen, then Samuel said, bring Agag king of the Amalekites here to me. It's a preacher, people. This is a preacher. Samuel is a prophet. They're a little tougher than us softies nowadays. So Agag came to him cautiously. And Agag said, surely the bitterness of death has passed. Surely you're not still mad at me. But Samuel said, as, the, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag in pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. <laughs> then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. You know that Saul, after that, who was head and shoulders above every man. I don't know what I'm doing, turn my sermon off. You know what? Being loved of God, accepted by God being called of God, you know what happened? God never spoke to the man again until he died. Gave his kingship to David. Why? Listen, he disobeyed. He disobeyed. He did not hack Agag himself. And that's what you and I must do. That's what we must learn to do. Oh, how the Amalekites in my life creep up behind me all the time. How about y'all? This old flesh, the enemy of joy, the enemy of assurance, the enemy of happiness. There's only one way to defeat them. You've got to hack them to death. You've got to go at war with sin. Through spiritual dis disciplines, destroy sin in your life. Reading and studying the Bible. This is not simplistic. It's what the Bible says. Prayer and fasting. 
confessing your sins and even to one another some accountability even remove those things that those things now listen here's one thing you need to do remove those things people and places that cause you to fall to this enemy Psalm 101.3 says, I will set no wicked thing before my eyes. I hate the work of them that, that uh, turn aside. I shall not cleave, it shall not cleave to me. Set your mind on spiritual glories. Set your mind on the positive things. I tell you what, a lot of times I, in my life, I'm the world's worst at it. I get on, as Spurgeon said, I like to beat on the off key. On the string that's not even tuned, it's the one I want to beat on. And I focus on the negative and focus on the bad things. And I'm not looking at my wife so I don't see her smirk and say, yeah, huh? But if we do, we all tend to do that, don't we? If you're negative, something's not right. You say, well, Brother Ron, I sin. Join a club. But you know what? You sin, Jesus forgives. Amen. Confess your sin and go on and live in joy. Philippians 4, 8, this is the things you ought to focus on. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, think or meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. John Owen again said, and I finish with this, On Christ's glory, I would fix all my thoughts and desires. And the more I see of the glory of Christ, the more the painted beauties of this world will wither in my eyes, and I will be more and more crucified to this world. It will become to me like something dead and putrid, impossible, impossible for me to enjoy. And I do think that's a key. I know I need this. More about Jesus would I know. More of his love to others show. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. It is here all day long. We can tell you what not to do. Don't do. Don't do. Don't do. And when the Bible says that, that's what we're going to say. But here's what the Bible does say. Here's what you ought to do. Think about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus. The King of kings is he. The Lord of lords supreme throughout eternity. The great I am the way, the truth, the life, the door. Hey, we ought to just talk about Jesus more and more. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory.